Gotta step in the game Here to bring the heat Texas 22 We on the beat Leo and Big T Hosting this show Talking X's and O's We letting y'all know Texas 22 Breaking it down Podcast got the city vibing to the sound Special guests dropping knowledge so true Houston Texans damn This one's for you Texas 22 Breaking it down Podcast got the city vibing to the sound Special guests dropping knowledge so true Houston Texans damn This one's for you Hey guys, how's it going? Welcome to another episode of Texans 22. I want to welcome John Crumpler. Um, I've known John for a while. You probably have read his things on Texans Wire. See him on multiple podcasts. John, say what's up to everyone that's watching. V, thank you for having me. And guys, what's up? I'm excited to be here and talking about, uh, frankly, a very exciting Houston season. But I got to say before we do anything, man, that was a beat. The, the intro you got there, I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of head nodding, enjoying myself over here. That was nice. Awesome. Yeah, I, I, I like it. It's you know, a little bit of R&B from the 90s. Um, Thank you know, I'm in my 40s. There yeah. you go, right? So you, it's, it's sticking in your head. Um, yeah, no, I, I think it's pretty cool. I mean, I'm in my 40s. A lot of people don't realize that. So I, I love 90s music and love 90s hip-hop and R&B and got to throw that a little bit there in there. Um, so guys, in case you haven't yet, please check out the new website, Texans22.com and subscribe to the YouTube channel. But let's get into this because we want to talk about what's going on and let's get to the Texans news. The obvious big thing that's on everyone's mind is CJ is not out of concussion protocol, still has symptoms. It's reported that he has light sensitivity. Um, that is the big news. And before I get your thoughts on that, I want to talk about this kind of as a group. The Texans and the Patriots put a claim on quarterback Nathan Work, and, but the Pats had higher priorities. So we didn't get them, but uh, didn't get him, but we signed former Jets quarterback Tim Boyle, who didn't look very great anyway. But um, And then the other thing that we did is we added ben the Bengals and the Browns putting claims for defensive tackle here, Tart, but we got them. Um, so I want to talk about all those news, and obviously the biggest thing is CJ. Um, give me your thoughts on both. What do you think is going to happen this week? Will CJ play? And also, why do you think we added uh, or tried to get quarterbacks and then added um, a quarterback to the roster, to the practice squad. Yeah, it's a really interesting situation. I mean, coming into this week, I think myself, along with a lot of other people, expected that CJ Stroud was going to be ready to play. But I think right now, all signs point towards that being less than likely. I mean, we've got uh, DJ Bienemy and Adam Schefter from ESPN kind of tag teaming to tell us that that's less than likely. I believe Aaron Wilson has been reporting the same thing. And uh, I know concussions can be a little fickle. It's about how well you can progress through the protocol. Um, and that's up to, you know, obviously independent neurologists and some computer-based testing, some like kind of physical exam-based testing. And would it be shocked if he played? No, but I think right now we have to expect that Case Keenum will be the guy again. Uh, I think there's a reason they went with him last week in a big spot. And this is just, a, you know, for everyone saying that, you know, as long as we win the last two games, we can make the playoffs. I still think this is a very important game on Sunday. Not only, I mean, against the team that you've got their draft pick, albeit I don't think anyone cares about that anymore, but the path to the playoffs is just so much simpler if you can find a way to win at home against Cleveland. So I would expect Case Keenum and then why they're looking for this third quarterback. I'll be honest with you, I was a little confused as well, but I do have to imagine it has to do with 
the kind of found severity of Stroud's concussion symptoms. And this is taking a little uh, longer than they would have hoped. I, I have to expect that they did not expect more than one game. And maybe it's just as much as getting a emergency quarterback on the roster and uh, trying to do their due diligence from that aspect. But I, I was a little surprised at the claim because it meant that they would have had to cut somebody. And I'm not sure where that roster spot would have come from. Uh, come from. Obviously, they did find room for Tart earlier. So, uh, right. An, in, an interesting situation to watch evolve there for their quarterback room. So, uh, all right, I wanted to talk about the concussion protocol a little bit more because I, I think there's a lot of confusion. And and I think some people don't understand that there's five different stages. Um, there's di and the first one is, you know, the, the limited activity because you have symptoms. Then there's aerobic exercise. Then there's football-specific exercise. Then there's club-based non-contact training deals. And then there's the full-on practice. As of this, and of course, I could be wrong in the last 10 minutes because I've been trying to set up for this podcast, so please correct me if I'm wrong. No one has actually stated what stage he's actually in, correct? I don't think so. I thought last week that DJ might have reported that he had not advanced like into the fourth and fifth stages, so he was still in the earlier stages. But then this reporting from Aaron Wilson that's seemingly um, collaborated by what ESPN is saying would put him – earlier than stage three in the process. So yeah, I don't think there's any exact certainty to the public where he is right now. So one thing is that's interesting is that Brock Purdy wasn't cleared until the Saturday before his Sunday game and he played. So I want to say that there's still a chance, albeit small chance, that we could get shocked and have CJ start if he somehow start saying, oh, I don't have any symptoms and he's practicing. And from my understanding, you know, I've, I've had a concussion before as well, although very different circumstances. But from what I've read about what doctors are saying about it is that one day you can wake up and your migraines could be gone, your headaches could be gone, everything could be gone. You're like, it's like a light switch. And now you can practice. And now you just have to overcome the test, which if you're not having symptoms, that's usually a, a good chance it could happen. So right now it doesn't look great, but that doesn't mean in my opinion that it's completely over and done with them, that Case Keenum is going to be starting. What are your views on that? Yeah. I mean, someone, someone messaged me today and they said, what do you make of him having this sensitivity to light? And I said, it just with the nature of concussions, this is something he could wake up the next day at any point this week and not have those symptoms. Now the question is going to be, can he advance through the rest of the protocol as you would expect those symptoms to begin to dissipate during this week? And then more importantly, and V, this is a question I would ask for you, is this Houston Texan staff, is D'Amico Ryans, Bobby Slowick, Gerard Johnson, the rest of the offensive team, are they willing to put Stroud out against what is, in my opinion, the NFL's best defense this year? Um, statistically, they were pacing to be one of the best defenses of all time earlier this year. Um, are they willing to do that in a game that does not necessarily qualify must win when I think we would all acknowledge that this year is a lot of fun, but your Super Bowl window starts next year. And I'm curious how safe they want to play it with CJ moving forward. Yeah, I mean, the way that I look at D'Amico is that he's willing to push the limits, but not cross the line. So, um, you know, I, I think that some people would, would tell you that Derek Stingley may not have been 100% ready when he came back. Um, there are players that came back that some people thought that I don't know if this player is ready or not and still played. Um, I think that D'Amico is willing to, like I said, push players, not cross the line, but push them. And so if I think that if he passes the test, and that's what really what it comes down to, if, if doctors are saying he's good to go, I think D'Amico plays him. I don't think D'Amico is going to say, 
all the doctors are saying that he's good to go, but I'm going to hold him back. I don't see that happening. Um, what I do see happening is if he's on the edge where doctors are saying, you know, he could or could not play, then I think he may take the road of caution as opposed to risk. That I can see, but I don't see him just holding CJ back just for the hell of it, frankly, right? If you're healthy, you're playing. And, and that at the end of the day, this is professional football. They're trying to get into the playoffs. This is your starting, this is your, star, your star quarterback, uh, literally one of the best quarterbacks in the league. I don't think you just sit him, you know, part of my friendship, but for shits and giggles. If you're passing, if you pass the tests, you're playing. That's how I feel. Um, the one caveat that, that I might point out, and who knows how they're feeling, I agree. This is, um, we, we don't have a, a track record of how this staff would handle this at the quarterback position. Because you talk about Stingley, and the one thing is, I guess two big ones are that this is your quarterback. This is going to be the future of your franchise for, um, I mean, hopefully 10 to 15 years. And concussions are this, I mean, really polarizing issue around the league. It's a, it's an injury that players are hyper aware of the long-term effects of their own health. And I think it's something that D'Amico as a former player is something that he's going to be very protective of his own guys, especially someone who's, I mean, that relationship is going to dictate whether or not his tenure as the Houston Texans head coach will be successful. And I think he has an understanding as anyone that it goes beyond the games for what that means for CJ. And then at the quarterback position as well, where it is less of a plug and play, I mean, if, if we're talking about Stingley, there's going to be your man coverage reps going to be, you're going to play cover three. You're going to play cover four. Uh, he knows how to do that. That's what he's been doing his whole career versus um, CJ Stroud. He might miss, you know, the 10 to 15 plays they're going to install specifically to beat this Cleveland defense. That's going to be two to three weeks since he was working with this receiver group, which um, really is kind of evolving before our eyes with Nico Collins out. And even if I expect Nico to be dropped back into that this week, but it's, a little bit different to acclimate. So I, that would be my one caveat to would they push this one in the context of the level of challenge that they face and what this injury and this player means to the future of the franchise. Right. And listen, like I'm saying, I don't disagree, but I just think that Domika is willing to, like I said before, you know, kind of walk between the lines there. Um, but when it comes to other players, Nico Collins and Will Anderson, they're still questionable. Now, I know that you're saying that you're expecting uh, Nico to come back. What do you think about Will Anderson? I mean, high ankle sprain is just a, a difficult injury. I'm not his doctor. I'm not in the building. But I think we've seen across the league the responses to high ankle sprains are, I mean, pretty dramatically different. What guys are able to – I mean, first of all, there's a pain tolerance standpoint of what can you do on the field and then position by position, how explosive can you be coming off of that ankle that's probably not giving you the feedback that you want and that's a little painful to play through. So uh, I don't know if Will – I know, I mean, I got to interview Will earlier this year. I know that he wants to be out there, and I think it's a guy that Texans fans would love to see out there. But, I mean, har hard to say. He's probably the biggest question mark of this week in terms of what do we know to expect because on one hand I think all signs point to – I mean, man, Nico Collins, talk about someone who stepped up when C.J. Stroud, he said, challenging this guy to be a leader last week. He's pushing to play. I think we should feel very confident he's going to be able to. I mean, he pushed it as far as into Sunday morning last week. And then on the other hand, we've got Stroud. I mean, it's Tuesday afternoon or Tuesday evening, and we're hearing that he might not play. But I think Will's the real question mark, and I'm not sure what to expect from him. I don't know if you have any different thoughts there. 
No, I mean, I think my, my thoughts are pretty much the same on Will Anderson, um, and which on, my next comment actually bleeds into the Texans game recap, which is that the Texans D-line had a season high of seven sacks, 12 tackles for loss, 11 QB hits. Now, I'm not minimizing Will Anderson's performance this year. He's been a beast, particularly in the run game. He has five sacks, very close to what J.J. Watt had his rookie year, which is five and a half sacks. Um, and so, obviously, I want Will Anderson out there. Having said that, um, we've shown that our players do step up um, when, when asked. It, Jonathan Gennard had two and a half sacks uh, and is now actually tied with Michael Parsons for having 12 and a half sacks. Um, Jerry Hughes stepped up. Malik Collins stepped up. So we had a lot of different players that actually stepped up against a uh, against the Titans. Now, of course, it's a much different O-line that we're going up against, no doubt. Uh, but we have Desmond King, Jarek Barnett, um, Khalil Davis, they're healthy. And of course, I want Will Anderson to play, but that doesn't mean that we don't have players willing to step up and be able to try to take over uh, a game, uh, especially when you don't have your starting quarterback, you have to have your defense stand up. Um, I kind of pushed this to the to the Browns um, preview, even though this is supposed to be kind of the recap, but I kind of I kind of had to right there. Um, but just talk going right back to the to the Titans recap. We actually talked about me, Leo, and Josh on the recap. We had a, a we actually struggled when we talked about who to give the game ball to. I said it was Devin Singletary. I want to know if you had to give your game ball to someone for the game, who would it go to? I mean, that's that is a really tough question, and I'm surprised you guys struggle with it because the impact unit of the game was that defensive line. But as you just said, a lot of different contributors to that. Jonathan Grenard continues his career best season. You had four other guys contribute sacks to that total. Um, I think on the back end, they played very, very well. Um, but then you go to the offensive side. I don't think Keenum was spectacular, albeit he stepped up and was a superhero in that game. Um, I think he overcame some, some play calling that we can get into a little bit. I, I, I think it comes down to, for me personally, either Devin Singletary or Kaimi Fairbairn. Fairbairn hit two 50-plus yard field goals, and I feel like in the context of this season, I want to give him that because this team would have another win or two if we've been able to do that. But I will say your Singletary pick, when he's able to run like that, it totally changes the dynamic of how this offense plays and how you have to defend it. And frankly, you can't beat Tennessee and win a game with Case Keenum unless Singletary runs like that. And it's part of why I'm so horrified about playing Cleveland without C.J. Stroud because – my gut says that Singletary is not going to run for five yards of pop this week. Yeah, I agree. Um, they're a much better rush defense. Um, and, you know, why don't we, why don't we just move honestly to the Browns recap? Cause it sounds like that's where we, where we want to go. Right. I mean, like we're all talking about what, what's coming up. We know what we happened. Um, it's a big game. game. It's a huge we, game. We can go back there. Um, the only thing I will stress right before we go to the Browns though, is that, for those that apparently didn't know that Kymie Fairbairn was not only given the game ball by Jamika Ryans, but was the AFC Special Teams Player of the Week, kicked that 54-yard uh, field goal to to get the win. So I wanted to just give a special shout-out to Kymie Fairbairn. I don't want to let that um, go by the wayside there. But getting to the Browns the Browns recap here, this is a much, much tougher team, all right? Um, I think they're a Super Bowl team. And obviously they don't have the best quarterback, but Joe Flacco, you know, he threw three interceptions. So, but let's talk about their defense first, because that's going to be, in my opinion, the biggest problem. 
The Browns allowed the fewest completions of any team in the NFL, just 16.3 points. They also allowed the fewest yards, 261 yards. Houston is 16th. So they're number one. We're 16th. They allowed the fewest yards per attempt, 4.5. Baltimore's first. Houston's 18th. Now, here's where we are superior, though. They have the 12th best rush defense at allowing 4.0 yards per carry. We're second best in the league at 3.4 yards per carry. That is going to be our strength, our run defense. Now, if you told me this last year, last year, that the, one of our biggest strengths on defense was going to be rush defense, I would have laughed in your face. Um, I, I can't believe how uh, how much this, this has actually changed. Now, here's why I think we got a shot. The Browns offense is ranked 17th. Now, they put 330 yards of offense. Now, you have to put that in some context because they've had four different quarterbacks here. Um, but So if you look at just the last three games, they averaged 364 yards. With Chicago, they had 377. The reason why – now, obviously, here we probably won't have C.J. Stroud, right? And But with C.J. Stroud, we're ranked 10th. Um, and so, you know, there's a chance that we get him. Um, here's the reason why that I think that our defense could pop off. Flacco had three interceptions and a fumble against the Bears. Um, yes, he's a gunslinger, but he's also very, very loose with the football. And we can take advantage of that. Um, PFF said that he made four turnover-worthy plays and only dealt with one receiver drop. So he's really just throwing the ball out there. And again, this is against the Bears, who haven't won many games, right? Um, he gets the ball out decently quick at 2.8. I mean, again, it's not over three seconds, but it's not like Trevor Lawrence or Tua um, getting out at 2.4, 2.3. So there is a chance that our pass rush can really work here. Um and, and this is when I have to start talking like D'Amico and say, you know, I talked about their defense, but we're a good team too, right? And so this is where I want to get your input, right? I talked about Grenard. I talked about the second best uh, run defense. I talked about Grenard, uh, Mike, um, that, that he's tied with Marco um, Parsons, Montez Swinton, sacks with 12 and a half. We're, he's only a half a sack less than Miles Garrett. Let that sink in. We've got a player that's only a half a sack less than Miles Garrett on our squad. Um, and this is a big, big thing. Staley and Nelson both have four, uh, four interceptions tied for fourth along with 11 other players. The thing is, there's only two teams in the NFL, two teams that have uh, have two players that have four interceptions or more, us and the Bears. And do you know why the, that the Bears have it? Because they played Joe Flacco last week and he threw three interceptions. So I now after I said that, I got to ask you, what are you expecting from our defense? Uh, and we'll get to the offense in a moment, but what are you, are you expecting from our defense against the Browns? I was going to say, man, a lot of good information there, but a lot of different things I want to hit, whether it's the Flacco angle, the overall Browns angle, and of course the Browns defensive angle. Um, I'm really diving in likely to the Browns offense versus our defense more so tomorrow, but I think, I mean, I, I have been able to watch the Browns a little bit this year. I, I think if we're going to be able to win the game and take over elements of it, it's likely going to be from that aspect. And the Browns right now with Joe Flacco, they're not particularly dynamic. They've had a lot of turnovers. They've really played some some ugly contests despite, I mean, I don't. I think they beat Jacksonville uh, by more than what the score would have suggested in that one. And Chicago, we can get into this, but I think Chicago's a lot better than their record would suggest as well in last week's game. But this is a team that 
Flacco has some mistakes that show his age in some way, um, but he also has those moments that you see the physical arm talent and you see a veteran decision maker back there. And the question for me with the Texans defense is, can they make it a one dimensional game? You brought up how strong the Texans have been against the run 3.4 yards per carry um, by far and away. Every, everyone who watches the team this year knows they are a good run defending team. And against Jerome Ford, Kareem Hunt, those running backs, can you make Cleveland one dimensional and force Joe Flacco to have to beat you. And they've got the wide receivers to do it. They've got, I mean, Amari Cooper's having a good year. I think David Njoku's been incredibly strong since Joe Flacco came out. And I mean, I could talk about our linebackers and coverage a little bit more later, <laughs> but that is, if you have to make it into a calculated bet, if you're Houston's defense, I think trying to force them into these fettered and long situations where Joe Flacco has to beat you and our corners are playing as well as any duo in the league right now. I think that's fair to say. I think uh, Stingley's been an all-pro level talent since he came back from injury, and Steven Nelson himself's playing, I mean, really a Pro Bowl caliber campaign, some of the best ball of his whole career. Um, I shouted that out uh, this morning looking at some of his numbers. I, I think that's probably their best angle for a chance. I don't think there's a mismatch there. I think our defense is well-equipped to take on their offense, and – the question might be when it spills over to the other side of the ball, what kind of situations are they going to face that in? Let's make sure we talk about, and I want to ask you the same thing about what, what do you expect from Houston's offense realistically against the Browns defense? Okay. I'm expecting us to not have the best running game, but I think that we can have three yards, three and a half yards per carry. Um, you know, they're, they're allow they're allowing uh, 4.1 right right now. So if we can get three and a half yards per carry, that's going to give us a pretty good window to have to throw screens and so forth. Um, you know, so I, so I think that's that's the first thing. Num number two is that because he's a gunslinger, right? They they are going to have to um, cover him, c cover our receivers, which will obviously help the run game. So I think I think you've got to have the same game plan as last week. I understand this is not as um, as bad as a rush defense, but Believe it or not, the Titans are what weren't bad at rush defense, even though it looked like it last week. They're they're top ten. Um, believe it or not, the Titans actually have around the same, if not a little better, rush defense than the Browns, and we still were able to pull it off. So I'm expecting Singletary to have another hundred yard game. I don't know if it's going to be another hundred twenty yard game, but I'm expecting him to have another hundred yard game. This game is won or lost on Devin Singletary's back, just like against the Titans. That's what I'm expecting. Um, I'm expecting Case Keenum to throw for about 200 yards, perhaps a little less. Um, I don't even know if he'll have a passing touchdown, but I think that Devin Singletary can um, really support this team on offense. And I'm expecting this defense to make sure that they that they keep Joe Flacco under check. He's going to sling it. All right, we got to make sure a pass rush can force him to make mistakes. We know that he loves to throw, uh, make whiskey decisions. Let Make him pay for it. That's what I'm expecting. So on offense, it's Devin Singletary. The really you've got you, the run game has to be strong. On defense, force him to throw deep and take advantage of those situations. That's what I want to see. No, I think that's that's fantastic. That's just about what I would say. And, and how I might paraphrase it is whatever the game plan was last week to protect Case Keenum and make it efficient against the Titans. I want to see them. One, you're going to drop Nico Collins back into this, but two. 
exaggerate everything that you did against the Titans. So what does that look like? For me, a question of the game, you talk about Singletary. Are they willing to give him the ball 25 times on the ground? Like, do not hesitate to run the ball. And I actually think Bobby Sloat could have run the ball even more last game. It was a little frustrating at the two-minute drill and in overtime to watch him put the ball in Case's hand when, one, we were struggling to protect, and two, I think you saw he was it, it oftentimes struggling to find some answers against um, the Titans' defense, and I, I, it worked out just fine. He'd get Singletary on the creation play, but there's a universe where he doesn't get out of that pocket and we give away a very winnable game because he wanted to put it on Case. So I want to lean on the run game a lot, what you said, and I think last game – what we saw in the passing attack, I mean, Case looked a lot, a lot at Noah Brown. That was clearly his first read on a lot of these passing plays. And I actually think you saw Noah Brown do a lot of what we would call Nico Collins things, like these slants, in routes, crossers, post routes, like the this the kind of concepts, I mean, these deep in breakers, like that they looked for, generally they run with Nico, that we saw Noah Brown running them. So can you give, I, I think Noah Brown saw 11-ish targets to lead the team on the day. You know, can you get 11 to 13 with that for Nico Collins? And then also get a smattering to Dalton Schultz. Look for him a little earlier when you do have to pass. And if you can, I mean, I want to say this in the kindest way possible. If you can decrease Case Keenum's impact on the game as much as possible and how you're running the ball with Devin Singletary, don't get in your own way. Don't. Don't run the ball, Pierce. I mean, I think that divorce has already happened. Maybe we talk about that later. But Ogumbawale, I don't think he threatens on the field and he signals clear passing downs. But get the ball to your best players. Get it to Singletary. Get it to Collins. Get it to Schultz. And I think that's how you move the ball. The questions for me are about how they hold up in protection. I'm going to be watching for how if George Fant comes back, because I think that matters. Um, they had to help Charlie Heck out a lot, and I imagine they're going to have to help whatever tackle has Miles Garrett, um, but there's more than there's a lot of good pass rushers in Cleveland. So can the offense be in, I mean, keep the defense out of really bad situations. That's how it feels for me. So the one thing I want to say is I'm not even sure whether Nico's going to play. And, and I obviously I, I do think no Brown's going to play. So um, if we don't have Collins, that's another reason why you wouldn't put it, you know, just on Case Keenum's um, hands, right? Because, you know, you only Nick, Noah Brown is a big is a big threat. Honestly, yeah, he had two goosehead games, but if you think about it, one of them was against the Jets, who have the third best passing defense, and basically, you know, Sauce is is a really good corner. Um, I know Houston fans sometimes don't want to admit that, but he's a great corner, um, and so he was knocking the balls ball out. I mean, there's. I can only get mad at Noah Brown for so much, but he showed that when, you know, he can show up and, and produce, he's had three really huge games for us. Now, of course I want Nico Collins there and I wish I tank Hill didn't get hurt, but that's not our situation. So I agree that we have to use Devin Singletary. I also think we got to use Devin Singletary in space, right? We saw that, you know, he was responsible for nearly 50% of our offense. He had 120 yards on the ground, 49 uh, through the air. Devin Singletary is a big threat. Shout out to Nick Casario, who I have been very harsh on at certain times in the offseason, for bringing Devin Singletary on the squad, um, being responsible 50% of a huge divisional game. I, I can't say more about uh, getting the ball in Devin Singletary's hand. That this That's the key to real victory this game. If we don't, if we move away and try to make case like trying to make this another like CJ Stroud game, 
we will lose. Their, their defense is strong. Their, their secondary is strong. Their only weakness on defense is their actual run, de run defense. That's their only weak point. Um, as far as turnovers are concerned, this is not going to be a clean game. I expect turnovers on both sides. Um, I expect Flacco to have multiple turnovers. I expect uh, Case to have multiple turnovers. I'm talking not just interceptions, but fumbles. Um, so I, this is not going to be a clean game. At the end of the day, what comes out of this is who controls the clock? Because this is going to be another gut-wrenching, I'm holding on to my chest, waiting to see who's going to win at the end of the 30 seconds. That's the way I see this game playing out. How about you? I mean, like, are you, is that what you're expecting? I mean, if there's an avenue for Houston to win, I agree. They're not, it's not going to be comfortable. I can't remember the last game they would have won with over a minute left. I think almost all of their games have been won in the last minute this year during this streak since they blew out Pittsburgh week four. Um, I, I will say, you talk about Nico Collins, if he's not going to play, I do not see an avenue to beating this Cleveland Browns team if you're missing Stroud and Nico. I just, I, I think the offense, we might be overlooking just how rough it was overall um, because of the fact that they were able to win the game and mm -hmm. that, I mean, they kind of got, um, I'll call it an iffy pass interference call on Xavier Hutchinson on the one touchdown drive of the game. I, I don't know about that one, but is the formula sustainable when you're playing and I mean, I pulled up the numbers here prior to coming on. I, I tweeted this earlier today. So the defense, for all we said about what they can rush, they are second in defensive success rate against the rush. So I think a successful play for the offense is when a rush yard has um, over three yards on first and second down. And then if it gets the first down on third down. So they're fantastic against the rush by all means. They're fourth in rushing EPA per carry, expected points added. They are first okay. in defensive success rate against the past, and they are first in passer rating allowed. So it's it's just it is a fantastic defense. Jim Schwartz, he's done an incredible job with that unit. And for me, if we're missing both of those guys, I don't know where the explosive element's going to come. And that's okay, but in some aspects for a Cleveland Browns offense that we actually think that we line up pretty well with, if you're not able to generate good plays and they're able, I mean, just big chunk plays and they can kind of make you one dimensional by focusing on Singletary, I'd be worried about, I mean, the tale of the Houston Texans defense the last two years prior to this year has been, well, what do you think it's going to look like when guys are on the field for so long? And that's something that I would worry about happening and how they move the chains. But that's that's kind of the the John Grumpler, as people have said on Twitter, the uh, the pessimist <laughs> in me. I just I think the Cleveland Browns defense is demonstrably talented. This is a game right now. I would probably I'd probably take Cleveland by a touchdown, just knowing what we currently know. I want to see who gets to play. Um, it's certainly a game that we're capable of winning. I actually think they're favorited right now. They're minus two and a half, which I'm assuming in the next three days, especially after this, the Sharps are going to bet that to be a um, like a Cleveland favorite, maybe like clean it, Cleveland minus two, Cleveland minus three by halftime. It's, it's switched. Yeah. But so when the last time you saw this, it switched right before the um, the show. So it switched from us being favored to the Browns being favored by two and a half. Yep. Okay. Yeah. As soon as that opened at us minus two and a half, I said, that's a great line. The sharps are going to eat that alive. And it looks like they've, so if, if it's already at us minus two and a half, I think, 
I think the wise guys, even more money. I wouldn't be surprised if by the time we kick off, it's like Cleveland minus four. And I think Cleveland by a field goal, Cleveland by a touchdown, it would be pretty reasonable unless the defense just continues to be nuclear. But this is when I circle back to, I do think the Browns, um, I, I want to see if they attack our linebackers in coverage. Because for me, can you stop Nijoku? I'm so I'm so content with what we're doing on the the exterior of the defense on the perimeter. I think our corners is playing as well as anybody, but can Najoku end up having a huge day against the linebackers group? And um, this has been Stefanski's offense beyond solid. Um, and can that continue? So uh, I want to get to some of the questions because we've obviously said a lot of good things, but people do have some ways where they think that we could get better. Right. So right now, we three or one, two, three, he said, Maybe we should sign another veteran wide receiver. The Colts are working out Jarvis Landry right now. Um, John, do you think that we should actually uh, work out a receiver or try to sign anyone? Or do you think that we're good where we are? And, you know, we have one and a half million dollars in cap space right now. So what do you think we should do? Personally, if there was a meaningful difference maker on the market at receiver, I think he would already be on this team. Tank, Tank Dell has been out for a while. Um, it's not a spot they're particularly strong at, even without him. I don't see them signing anybody. There's not anyone I can personally think of that would be a huge difference maker. And I do think this is a team that wants to see what – I mean, they have preached and shown us through their actions that, yes, they really want to win. But they're not going to force or accelerate the process with any moves artificially. So I think they're content to see, hey, last week Xavier Hutchinson led the team in routes run. He, I mean, I think he and Noah Brown ran the same amount of routes. They want to see more of X. John Mechie, which uh, by by all accounts, that experiment's not going as, as well as you would have hoped right now. I think they want to continue to keep giving him runway because, he, I mean, all you can do for him at this point is conditioning and live football reps. And if you add a, a veteran to this, one, I don't know if you improve demonstrably from a talent standpoint, but you definitely take away from those young guys that they probably want to see more of. So I would say no to a veteran. I don't know how you feel about it. I think I pretty much agree with you there because who's there, right? Um, who who could you actually work out at this point? Uh, we added a couple of dudes to the practice squad. We added, we got back Steven Sims. I mean, he hasn't done much. Um, even as a, you know, as a returner, he had one good uh, return. That's pretty much about it. We have dudes on the practice squad. The real question is, you know, one of the things is, this is already a hard system. I don't know if people realize that. The system that we utilize is Kyle, Hanish, Kyle Shanahan system. This is not a system that everyone can just learn right away. Um, other quarterbacks and other players have said that it takes a year to actually learn. So trying to get someone off their couch and bring in is not as easy as you think. Leo, what's your take? Should we actually be trying to add another receiver with Tank and Nico out? Um, I kind of agree with John. It's like, uh, it, I mean, you know, I guess the answer is yes, but like, you know, are there any realistic upgrades over like that would substantially like affect the team's progress and like play right now? I'd have to assume no. Um, and also we've, we've, um, you know, We've invested a decent amount in this receiving core, like as far as like young players that like you, you we don't really have like a full blown read on Mechie or Hutchinson out, and they've been here, you know, what I mean, for like the whole year, you know, Mechie, you know, obviously what, uh, yeah. So I guess you got to consider him a rookie as well. So 
you kind of have to trust your, you know, I mean, it's we're at that point in the year where like, you know, you're, you're playing backups anyway. A lot of guys, you know, you just kind of have to trust what you have. And if they're good enough to, you know, I mean, you kind of just have to make do with what you have. I, I feel like that's kind of the, the best way to put it, you know, right now, you know. It sucks, but it is what it is. You know? No, no. I mean, listen. I, I actually agree with you one hundred percent. Both you and John are saying literally what I'm what I'm thinking too. Another question here, which is not as crazy of a question to ask, right? Um, so, Sports Radio six ten in the in the loop. They were actually talking about this, and I can't remember whether it was Landry Locker or John Lopez, but one of them said that for this game particularly, they would actually like to see Mills over Case Keenum. Um, I disagree. I would like to get your thoughts. Uh, John, I'll start with you. Do you think that they should start Case over Mills? I mean, I saw you shaking your head, but let, let me get your reason why. I mean, there, there was a surprising amount of Davis Mills discourse um, around the fan base on Texans Twitter today. And actually, in one of your tweets, you talked about this idea that maybe the Texans coaching staff does not value Davis Mills the way that we do. And and what I would say is I, I think there's a fundamental disconnect between what Davis Mills actually represents and the idea of Davis Mills and what he's come to mean in the fan base. And for a long time, I compared Davis Mills to the car your parents buy you in a divorce and you really love that car and you don't really care about the quality of, of that car. It's hard to see that. But I think when, when you look at what Davis Mills track record in, in the NFL is this is a guy who is his barely won games who I think last year with ample opportunities um, especially early last year if you think about Indianapolis you think about Denver you think about a bone breaking a back-breaking interception to Roquan Smith when they're playing the Chicago Bears right. someone who's not delivered winnable contests um, and someone who the the idea of him and his arm talent and these games where he has played well, which usually has come in the context of he gets down really bad early in the game and then is able to come out back after that. It, it doesn't match exactly what the reality is. So I think in a team where when you don't have CJ Stroud and maybe you don't have Nico Collins, the strength of your team is on the defense you want a guy like Keenum who's just not going to make those mistakes. And I think there's something to be said for plugging a guy into the offensive huddle and in the locker room who you point to him, hey, he's won 50 games in the NFL. He led the Minnesota Miracle. He's won multiple playoff games. He started for multiple teams. He's been there, done that, got the T-shirt. And is Keenum perfect? No, albeit I don't even think the interception was his fault. It looks like a very weird miscommunication, almost if it was like – a choice route with with them. yeah with Dare because yeah. I mean he just threw it nowhere where he was going and I don't know if Dare has an option to read the linebacker there and go one way or another but something was clearly off and after that um, played a clean football game and so for me should they start Davis Mills I don't think so I think you would love the arm talent because it is evident that Case Keenum's restrictions physically affect what he's willing to chase down the field and the throws that he's trying to attempt. I think that's part of why you didn't see him go for Schultz when we're talking about him being open in the game. Uh, but at the same time, you just won with Keenum. They're, they're not going to make a switch after he just won the game, especially in the fashion they just did. So however we feel, whatever the physical limitations, the experience look like, I think the coaching staff has declared a direction that's not going to change. 
I agree. Leo, same question. Um, do you think that they should start Mills over Case, or do you think Case should start? I mean, um, I, I kind of feel like each one presents his, his uh, weaknesses and strengths. You know, I think, like, obviously with Mills, he's a bigger, stronger athlete, bigger arm. So, like, you might theoretically be able to attack, you know, I guess more uh, layers of the field or, like, you know, more parts of the field with him. But, I mean, you know, the thing is, is that if the coaching staff trusts him and, you know, the the players like Case more and they trust Case more than, like, I mean, to me it's kind of, you know, so, kind of silly to be, like, to throw Mills out there at this point. I, I do still think that Mills has, like, a – you know, I, I still think that they're, you know, he could be like a fine backup somewhere else. And I still think he has like some some decent like physicals, but it is what it is. Like, you know, for us at this point, it's just, you know, I mean, I don't think he should play after what happened. You know, I mean, it's I, it's kind of a moot point to me to to say that we need to start meals. It's, you know, it's it's kind of crazy. <laughs> I mean, shit, we're signing quarterbacks, you know, um, we 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 started a veteran, you know what I'm saying, over him. It's kind of like I I kind of don't see the point in, in even, you know, bringing this up over and over and over again. It's 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 redundant, you know. I mean, I think I think a lot of fans want to see him succeed so bad that because he was the guy that we got after Watson left us, right? Like like that's that, that's what I think, right? Like and I understand John, you were saying that, right? Your analogy with you know your parents getting divorced. He's the divorce car. And to be my, my parents are still together, but he he's the divorce car. Like that's the that's the analogy, I think. And I think that's right. And so, listen, a lot of a lot of people ask, well, why are the fans so emotional? What is the definition of a fan? It's literally a fanatic. So, I mean, like, we are fanatics. We're crazy. That's why we were talking about it every day on Twitter spaces. So if you're a fan of someone, whether it's Davis Mills or not, we I, I mean, I get it. But the bottom line is for this team, I don't see Davis Mills here in the future, frankly. And, I, and I'm not saying that just because I don't believe in his talent here. I think that he may request to go right if he believes he's a starter and i think most competitive quarterbacks believe they can start that i see him requesting to leave and say hey listen let me go get a start somewhere else um there is no real reason for him to stay here as a backup if he believes in his heart that he can go start somewhere else right um leo let me I mean, ask you I that. Mean, or at least just be a backup he's not even a backup here <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <You know? right. laughs> he's a third string quarterback here so i mean fuck you yeah. know I would, but what I would, what I might say, I might disagree that he's not. I, I think this is a good situation for him, and I would actually still say, like, what he's doing right now is going to have a tangible effect on what that next contract look looks like and what his NFL career looks like. Because this is someone who he's been the active backup in every game. I mean, he had to come in, finish out the Jets game. He's had to prepare every single week um, for potentially starting. And he's someone that the coaching staff clearly trusts in that role. They covet having him on the roster. I think you could have traded him this summer and gotten um, not a real return, but a day three pick if you want to salvage something. So to me, I don't know. I don't think he would request a trade. I think this is a, a strong situation from him. And I do wonder, especially if there gets to be some coaching staff shakeups and we might want to see Keenum if, if he wants to take that leap into that realm. I know a lot of people like to talk about that, whether that would be this off season or next off season, but I think Davis is doing what he's supposed to do. And I think once people, like you said, V once 
the what their idea of Davis Mills once that becomes a little more congruent with what the reality of what he looks like in the league. I think this is a good situation for him to kind of launch what's hopefully going to be a, a long career as a backup quarterback. Agreed. So with that being said, let's get down to some nitty gritty predictions. Um, I I understand, um, John, that going giving score predictions is kind of tough for people because how often are we write about the score predictions? Rarely. But um, I think it's kind of fun just to try to see if we do land it here. So um, what's your game? What's your prediction? Do you think we win, lose? And what is the score? Well, I kind of assumed that Stroud would be playing all weekend and every time I've thought about this game. So if he doesn't play, maybe 24 to 13 Cleveland. Is that disrespectful? I mean, I just I I'm very scared about how this team moves the ball, especially if number 12 is not out there as well. This is if, if there was any game on the schedule this entire year that you needed number seven out there to be competitive, I think this defense beats up on everybody. So I that that might be my score right now. I haven't thought about it. I want to look more tomorrow at how much we can expect to shut down their offense. I haven't really done a deep dive there yet, but for now I would go 24-13 Cleveland. Okay. Um, you get a hot shit for that. Um, Leo, what what's your game prediction? Yeah, man. I mean, we're we're uh, definitely hurt, but they are too. I, I do think that um Nico being out is uh is pretty fucking terrifying. You know, against a team that has three cornerbacks that are playing like on a level that where they could basically start on damn near every team in the league. Um, I mean, you're looking at a team that has Miles Garrett and, you know, pretty much damn near like the perfect modern defense, you know. Um, so it's going to be hard. But but also, I mean, on their in terms of their offense, it's not like it's not like that crazy they do enough to win consistently but you know they have injuries too i think um it's jerome for i think is jerome for practicing again i know he i think he got hurt in last game or some shit he was hurt for yeah we'll bit. find out his, his practice really tomorrow but i'm gonna yeah. expect that he's playing so i mean i mean outside of like in joku i'm not really that scared of anybody on their team you know what i mean i don't think mm. that uh I mean, Amari Cooper is a very good receiver, but I don't think of him as like this, like he's not like a, you know, like an S tier type of receiver anymore to me. So I think it kind of just comes to just not allowing him to like, just really get over like what he is, what his kind of, what his average is, you know, you don't want him to go off and have like a hundred, you know, 50 yard game or nothing. It's, it kind of comes down to making sure that Njoku doesn't have one of those like, you know, hundred yard games where he gets like ten touchdowns, ten uh, not ten touchdowns, ten you know catches and like you know six, seven, eight first downs and then a touchdown on top of that, like that will kind of be a backbreaker. I assume that we're not gonna let them run the ball too, too, you know, too well on us. You know what I mean? But um, it kind of just comes down to that, you know, and just like I don't think of them as like being like a high scoring offense, but I think that over the over the game. They kind of end up trying to like wear you down, and you know you get tired of hitting guys like Njoku and stuff. And if if our offense isn't able to, you know, consistently like convert, you know, I think our defense can break down. But I, at the same time, 
I feel like, you know, if Nico's out there, I think that it's kind of as wild as this might be to say, I think that our offense isn't too much different. You know what I mean? If uh, if we're playing at our – it just comes down to their defense is better. But I, I'm going to still say that I think we can win. It's funny, Moderate just literally posted the same score that I had in my head, 17-19 us. But obviously that's like – I think it'll be like a, th- like a field goal type game. You know what I mean? Either way. Yeah, I mean – yeah, I mean, so I'm with you there. I do think it's going to be like a field goal. Um, I'm predicting that we win. Um, I, I, I think that we, I think it's going to be a 2017. Uh, I don't think it's going to be, you know, very high scoring. And the reason why is if Bobby has the same game plan that he's had last week, like I said, um, you know, from the beginning, Devin Singletary gets the ball, run it, run it, run it. Uh, you get three, you're only getting three to three and a half yards per carry. Continue running. Do not go away from the run. Don't make CJ the star quarterback. Run the ball here. And then defense has to show up like they showed up uh, last game. Uh, John Pigonard has got to show up. Malik Collins has to show up. Desmond King has to show up. I mean, Desmond King, I know a lot of people are talking about Gernard and rightly so and Malik Collins, but Desmond King really had a great game. Um, he had, well, I think it was, uh, 10 tackles or 11 tackles, Christian Harris balled out. So we had a lot of stars on defense ball out. Um, Steven Nelson and, Der- and Derek Stingley getting interceptions. I think that with our pass rush, we can force Flacco to make mistakes, get turnovers, and even if they don't turn into touchdowns, they can turn into field goals. And I think that you don't have too many empty possessions. If you can turn most of your possessions into field goals, I think you win. I think that Flacco and and their offense is really looks like it's based off of trying to work with explosive plays, and those explosive plays are biting them in the ass, right? If we just are consistent, good, gritty, hard, you know, old school football, run the ball down their throats, we win. And twenty seventeen is what what I what I'm thinking. Um, so I mean, that gives all of the you know game predictions from all three of us, but. Obviously, everyone is is here for one purpose and one purpose only, and that's to see if we can. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. Uh, so can we get into the playoffs? Um, um, so I so this will be pretty quick. I think that we well, not just I think we can lose to the Browns, and we can lose to the Browns. And we can still get to the playoffs as long as we beat the Titans and the Colts. I think we win this game, but if we don't win this game, I don't want people to think that our season's over. John, what are your opinions on our playoff chances, considering not just this game against the Browns, but, you know, basically what else is going on in the AFC? Yeah, I actually was curious. I went and played with it in the ESPN for any of you guys listening. They've got a really fun playoff simulator. You can pick every remaining game in the regular season and see what that would do for the tiebreakers. And I mean, I had played it out with the way I think things would happen. And that included Houston winning out Houston winning this week. They can definitely make it. It's, it's wide open. I just, that margin, their, their margin for error becomes essentially zero. If they lose that week and frankly, they've already been here as soon as they lost to the jets, their margin was zero. Um, they'll have to win out against I think the rematch against the Tennessee Titans will actually be early, will be my bad easier than the first game uh, when CJ Stroud comes back. But that Indianapolis Colts team is very strong that we'll be playing Week 18, and that's I mean that's a big ask, and that's just I mean you have to beat good football teams to make the playoffs. But 
the it's a, a very realistic expectation that this team can make the AFC wild card. And part of why I want this one so bad for the team, and I was tweeting about this today, is if you can beat the Cleveland Browns and you find a way to win out, you're going to win this division, I think. I think Jacksonville will lose to Tampa this week without C.J. Stroud. Um, so it's the difference between potentially do you have a home playoff game and the Denver Broncos are coming back in for a rematch? Or are you on the road at Miami, at Buffalo, at Kansas City um, in a game that, frankly, would amount to, with the injuries, who knows what will look like at that point. But it, it might just amount to getting playoff experience for the squad versus a chance to to really take one and to, to make a statement. So would love to see them win it. I do think, though, the playoffs, regardless of what happens on Sunday, um, should be firmly in sight for everyone who watches this team. And that expectation does not change uh, whether or not Stroud plays this week, assuming he's coming back for the two weeks after. Gotcha. Leo, um, one of the things that um, obviously John brought up of the Jags, right? Uh, Trevor Lawrence is in concussion protocol. They signed EJ Perry to the practice squad. They very well could lose to the Tampa. Tampa, um, everyone was thinking that that Tampa was not a great team, but uh, Baker Mayfield just had his game of, of sorry, say career. Um, you know, just recently. So I think they very well could, th- that uh, the Jags could lose. What do you think of our playoff chances? And going off of what John said, do you think that we can win the division? Yeah, I mean, I don't really think of, uh, well, Tennessee is just as, you know, depleted as we are. And, um, you know, their roster isn't just like, I mean, it's, it's pretty bare, you know what I mean? So I'm not too worried about them. Obviously, you have to play, like, you have to take everyone seriously. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, the Colts, I, I mean, I, I know I've been hearing Jonathan Taylor's coming back. I'm, I haven't been, uh, like, too plugged in on, on them. But, I mean, you know, I think they're definitely beatable. We we definitely played about as bad as, like, we – I mean, that was probably the worst start we damn near had the whole season, I would think. You know what I mean? And we damn near, like, you know, made it a one-score game at the end. So, you know, I think that they're definitely beatable. I mean, it comes down to, like, is Stingley playing? Is Will Anderson playing? Um, is, you know, you know, if, if we're somewhat healthy, like, if Nico, Stingley, Anderson, and Stroud is playing, I think we have a chance any game in the last two. This game is going to mm. be the, the weird one. Um, yeah. You know, I think you – I agree with John. If you find a way to win this game – you are sitting there looking at a way to uh, to host a, a game and you know at home in the playoffs and so yeah you know it's definitely possible and I you know because I mean shit the I, you know we've talked I thought the Jags were kind of uh, soft you know what I mean uh, they they don't really play like you know eighteen is a great back he doesn't they don't really run between the tackles that well um, you know you take away a couple of their receiving options and it's not the same. It's just, it's not a great offense. And we're not even talking about, you know, Lawrence missing. So I I think it's definitely in play for sure. I got to agree. I think that the division is in play. If we win against Cleveland, um, the divisions play, if we lose against Cleveland, but we win against the uh, the Titans and the Colts, we're in the playoffs. With that being said, we're ending the. We're going getting to the end of the show. John, why don't you tell everyone that's been watching how they can find you on on Twitter and every all other social media platforms? Any articles you have coming up and other podcast appearances? Yeah, absolutely. And 
Uh, v, Leo, thanks so much for having me. It's been fun to watch you guys kind of launch this new project in the last month. Um, for those of you guys who don't know me, my name is John Crumpler. I'm the lead analyst for USA Today's The Texans Wire. You can read all of my work on texanswire.usatoday.com. Should have had two articles come out today. They did not, so there should be two tomorrow, and I'll probably be writing at least one or two more. I'm um, dug into uh, earlier four big takeaways from the Titans that should be out tomorrow, and I also uh, want to take a look later this week at where Houston can capitalize against the Browns offense. So I'll be writing that. But um, otherwise, give me a follow on Twitter at John H. Crumpler. I'm on there all the time. I'm happy to interact with as many of you as I can. Awesome. Uh, Leo, uh, for you, for you, for people that don't know, Leo doesn't is not just my co-host here. He also has his own show on Texas 22 called The Run Game that he hosts with Josh. Leo, do you want to tell everyone what videos you uh, made recently and what's coming up? Yeah, so we have a couple videos based off of just like you know, pretty much just based off of like the offense and like where the offense is going or possibly going. Um, we have one on like is Nico, Nico Collins a, a wide receiver one? is uh you know will anderson's development i think we're gonna have a couple more things that uh you know focusing on like our defense you know coming up so probably within the next week we'll have some more stuff out for y'all for sure man awesome awesome and i just want to thank uh frank z uh he's been watching for uh since i've been doing podcasting uh, for the texans um so i appreciate the support um yeah I, I love statistics i love talking about them and i love talking about the houston texans um, so I'm glad that John was able to jump on. Obviously he had to jump off. Um, we went just a little bit longer than I wanted to, but with that being said, guys, I want to see us win against the Cleveland Browns on Sunday. Um, it will be a great Christmas gift. And with that being said, just remember Texans 22 always has your back. Texans 22, breaking it down. Podcast got the city vibing to the sound. Special guests dropping out, it's so true. Texans down, this one's for you. Step in the game, here to bring the heat. Texas 22, we on the beat. Leo and BT, hosting this show. Talking X's and O's.